Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Our guest today is Fritzi Horstman. She is the founder and executive director of CPP, the Compassion Prison Project, an organization dedicated to bringing compassion, childhood trauma awareness, and creative inspiration to all men and women living and working in prisons. With 95% of the incarcerated men and women eventually returning home, Fritzi strongly believes it is imperative that we address the chronic mental health issues in prison with common sense, compassion, and urgency. In 2020, Fritzi directed Step Inside the Circle at California State Prison, Los Angeles County, with 235 incarcerated men. The video has reached nearly 3 million views worldwide and has attracted over 900 volunteers to CPP. Fritzi and the team at CPP are currently creating a six-part series entitled Trauma Talks to be distributed to prisons in the U.S. and abroad. Fritzi produced HBO's The Defiant Ones, directed by Alan Hughes, which has garnered several awards, including a Grammy for Best Music Film. Her first feature, Take a Number, which she wrote, produced, and directed, debuted at the Slamdance Film Festival and premiered on HBO. Welcome, Fritzi. So good to be here, Roman. Thank you. Oh, my God. I've been I know you're busy. I've been waiting for this interview because trauma has been at the forefront of our research and lots of prisoners are diagnosed with ADHD. Some still undiagnosed. Lots of them are on medication. So I can't wait to just overlap these two topics and find out, you know, from you and, and what you and your team are doing in prisons. And you're also a filmmaker. Uh, I'm really excited. So let's start with, in general, I believe the word trauma is so heavy in our society that I always feel like, could we use another word so people don't turn around and go, well, I don't have any trauma because we all have trauma. Some Somehow there's a tiny little trauma in our childhood. I, I say tiny because you know, it doesn't have to be physical abuse, sexual abuse, and so forth. Tell me about what is your perception? What is your definition of what trauma is? Uh, it's multifold, but I'd say the, 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 the primary definition is the body's needs to be safe have been violated. So I don't feel safe in this world anymore because of what happened to me or or because I feel like it might happen to me again, or I'd say, and I feel like it might happen to me again. So um, it's a sense of, I'd say it's a sense of violation and, um, and a sense of, you know, um, we're not in, in Oz anymore. We're not in one, we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. And that's the other part though, is we do have the ways to get back to Kansas. That's the thing. And that's why I think trauma is an important word. And I think and it's it's important that we talk about it and we talk about it more often. And I also feel like we're in a global Trump traumatic uh, experience. It's not just uh, 
in this town, in this city, this is, everybody is traumatized. What we've done to the planet is tra traumatic. And um, our inability to react and respond to these things are, is also traumatic. So, um, and our, our, our instincts to numb and, and not deal with it mm. is such a traumatic response. And that's something to be aware of is we're not taking action when we're when it's needed most and right now i would say this is a call to action mm -hmm. it's time to wake up get off the couch and let's go i love that uh, as we both have both have couches in the background it's great <laughs> <laughs> well we're both off the couch right and uh, i do i did feel that when i saw uh, your film and I, i'd like for you to uh, you know to to talk about that of course um, for our listeners uh, if you haven't seen uh, the film that Fritzi and, and her team did, the Step Inside the Circle film that's uh, uh, available online, it really, I mean, just now I got goosebumps. Uh, you know, I'll let you elaborate further, but what I got from that film, what I took away was people in prison are not bad apples, but what happened to them mostly during their childhood, early childhood and childhood, you know, right, is what caused them to get derailed on their path to a, call it a fulfilling, happy, positive life. So I'll let you explain, but how did you come up with this project? How was it doing it? And, and, and what's the intention moving forward? Uh, so the, um, the awareness of my own trauma, that I was traumatized, that that my behavior was not who I was. That realization came in in 2018 when I read the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Mm -hmm. um, about probably a month after I finished reading that book, I walked into a prison as a volunteer um, with these ideas that I'm going to a maximum security prison. These are really bad people. And bad as in, you know, I, well, labeled bad. And I actually had some reservations about going there. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And then the second, the like literally the second I walked into that, through that threshold, I knew what we were doing in the United States and in other prison systems is was wrong, was actually misguided. And I had an obligation. I knew from the second I walked in, I had an obligation to make a change because I just saw myself, I saw my traumatized child meeting a hundred traumatized children. We were wow. all traumatized children in that room. Wow. And and just to clarify, so that book, right? Body Keeps the Score. I'm aware of that book. That book literally, you could say, woke you up to your own trauma. Is that what happened? Yes. And it woke, well, it woke me up. Chapter four, I think it's in chapter four, the science of, of the brain, what happens to the brain when it's in fight or flight. And when the prefrontal mm. cortex shuts down, everything, you know, it's free game. It's, you become an animal. It's an animal instincts are, are, are awakened and survival is, is the primary motivation. The prefrontal cortex is offline and that's the place where you have morality. That's where you have uh, wisdom, compassion, empathy. But if you don't yeah. have access to that, you don't have. And yes, that's, that's brilliant. And I just want to point out to our listeners. And that's again, why we are talking to you, Fritzi. And you're coming in with a project in trauma in prison. And a lot of parents are like, well, hold on. 
that's not my child, but the overlap here is that same thing happens to a brain of a child who we now just have, you know, labeled disordered with ADHD. The prefrontal cortex is, is preoccupied trying to process the trauma in a child's life. And sometimes it doesn't need much of trauma, just a stress on the nervous system. And now they can't sit still and learn. Now they become these little animals that can't behave and they don't have empathy and they, you know, they become these rebels and we label them. So very similar there. We put them on medication. In your case, what you saw was people who ended up in maximum security prisons. Right. And then how do you even start? Where do you start? Where did you start your project? Was it just like, Hey, can I come back here and, and do an experiment? Was that, yeah. Do a pilot, but I just, I want to just make sure that we're clear about the science of the ADHD. Yep. When I, when a person is in survival mode, which I would argue is presence as ADHD, which is when they're in there, when the amygdala is sounding the alarm. So the prefrontal cortex is not available to that child or to that human. So, um, so then you're in a state of fight or flight and that is a state of survival and it's hypervigilance. It's scanning your environment. It's not feeling safe. Yeah. Because going back to almost the old hunter days where you needed to go out and get right food and you needed to be in that state to survive so you could come back with food to your family and they would survive, right? Very similar. Like, I love that you pointed it out. Um, uh, that's a very similar situation, right? Yes. And safety. And so there's fight or there's flight. So when you're in flight, which is what I've spent my life in, which is anxiety, fear, and worry, which presents as ADHD. I mean, it's just this child doesn't feel safe in his environment for whatever reason, that's what we're dealing with. And we're dealing with flight. It's like, I would say ADHD is flight because it's not fight. They're in flight. And I have ADHD. I know I do. I learned that when I listened to Gabor Mate, who talked about his ADHD. And it was so, uh, such a revelation. And like all these other little epiphanies about my own brain development, my own childhood development, um, they're magical, um, they're magical pieces of information because it changes again, the way I think about myself. So my mm. ADHD presents, um, if you look at my desk, I would say you don't see it. It looks clean, but right in front of here, it's just a mess. It's my inability to finish a task to just, um, you know, there's 30 things that I'm doing right mm-hmm. now. And it, mm-hmm. you know, I look at my husband, he does one thing at a time. He finishes it. He'll close, you know, I have a thousand browser windows. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yep. Um, And no shame, no shame about having ADHD. But I also think this is, this is a great way to, you know, on a parental problem, this is also what people in prison are dealing with. And Mm. I would say probably 90% or 95% of the men and women in prison have ADHD because they're in a state of uh, fight or flight. And yes, and we don't know which it's going to be there. Um, I think you're right because the numbers I heard were much lower, but I guarantee you they are suppressed because if we realized that overlap was 95%, we would have to start to look at trauma around ADHD as well, but we're not willing to go there yet as a society. It's not trauma. It's something else. It's genetic, all that stuff. That's technically not the full truth, but anyway, I don't want to get lost in that. I want to go back to uh, how you started this project. And again, it gives me chills just when I watched footage of it, how these men just are moving into the circle. And I'll let you explain how that went, but it's just, it's so, so beautifully done. 
Um, but I would just want to say one more thing about yeah, yeah, ADHD please. and being a parent. If there's tension in the household or if there's any sense of violence in the household, the child cannot distinguish between himself and the, the parents fighting in the household. So just if parents listening to this, if they think about their own violence that they bring into the household and what that might, I'm not saying there's, there's no shame. Remember, I'm un, under the idea that there's no shame, but that stress stressor on the child can create ADHD or a sense of mm -hmm. unsafety. So, you know, that's like tension in the household is normal. It's like what we do. We don't know how to process our trauma, our feelings, our emotions. Mm. The child who is the most sensitive being in that household is picking up on this. So I just wanted to just finish that piece. No, th thank you. And you feel free to do, do that anytime. I'm so excited about your project, but I agree that, you know, and our research shows that a lot of kids uh, obviously get diagnosed early on, six, seven years old. And usually, and it's is a high percentage, uh, there's divorce, there's alcoholism, there's abuse. And once it comes out, it's almost like, okay, well, that definitely had something to do with it, with the flight that the child can't focus, you know? So you just mentioned three adverse childhood experiences, mm -hmm. divorce, um, alcoholism, abuse. abuse. Yep. Yep. So also have the people listening, people listening, please go take an ACE test and take an ACE test for your child. That's the adverse childhood experiences quiz. Just understand the amount of adversity that your child has been under. Again, no shame. You're doing the best you can. And yet this is what, uh, this is, this awareness is what's so important. And that's, that's the foundation of the work that we're doing and what that circle is all about. So what happened was when I realized I was traumatized in that day, when I stepped into prison, I said on the microphone to all the men, I said, this isn't a trauma center. This isn't a prison. This is a trauma center. And once we realize that prisons are really mental health facilities and we shift, we shift the uh, focus onto healing instead of abusing, because mm. it's basically an, like it's an ACE center. It's an, ad, it's an adverse prison experience instead of childhood experience. Once we shift the focus to healing, we're going to have citizens that return to us that are healthy mm. and productive tax paying and, um, productive members of society. Mm -hmm. So that's what we, you know, that's what I saw. And cause I'm, be, I'm much more productive now that I know about my ACEs and I know about my childhood trauma and I'm start, you know, I'm, I'm healing and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not as reactive. I'm still reactive though. I know like if I go into the kitchen, that's a reactive area. That's a, that's a trauma zone for me. Mm. My son, if, if somebody's just standing in front of the fridge, I don't know how to get to the milk. I actually lose my ability to form words, which is a symptom of trauma. So that's a, um, that to me, I know that that's a trigger response. So maybe with your child, with the children who are dealing with ADHD, what triggers their inability to focus or inability to communicate? Those are trigger responses. These are symptoms of trauma that present, um, Peter Levine has a whole list and I, I, on my mm -hmm. website, we have a list of symptoms of trauma. So that might be a good place to educate yourself. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And I'll do that in the show notes. I'll link to the ACE uh, quiz. And also uh, we did a podcast with Gabor and, and Peter as well. Uh, Peter, uh, an interview, but for the film, not the podcast, but I'll link those things for our listeners because it's all gold, what you're talking about. It's amazing. So yeah, please. Uh, yeah, continue, please. Okay. So, <laughs> so when I, when I knew I was obligated to do something with 
with this prison system that we've been dealt with, that we created actually, let me take responsibility because I voted for Clinton. I voted for the policies that put into place that created this mess that we're in. So when I went in there and I, I decided, okay, as I was walking out, I'm like, okay, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna bring trauma information to the men. I want them to have that same epiphany I had. And so I did a pilot program. Um, I created a ridiculous uh, curriculum, ridiculous. If uh, We should just frame that thing as just being so <laughs> clueless. Like this is a, what a clueless white person is walking into prison. Um, anyway, though, what happened was because I was just sincere and interested and curious, the men taught me and I taught them about, about our, trauma, our trauma, our collective trauma. But I knew I needed an event, a, um, a set piece, as they call it in filmmaking, um, where people could actually see trauma uh, physicalized. Mm -hmm. and so what I did is I had everyone stand in a circle, and then in, it took us four different circles to figure it out. But you know, we would step in and step out. It's like, that doesn't work. What's going to work? But Ultimately, we came up with this compassion trauma circle, um, which is what Step Inside the Circle is all about. And it's based on the Adverse Childhood Experiences quiz. There are 10, there are 10 of the, um, the, the quiz is the 10 most prevalent adverse childhood experiences that adults mm -hmm. have um, recognized in a, in a quiz done by uh, Vince Folletti, a, like a more comprehensive quiz. Anyway, so the, the circle is based on that, plus other questions like, um, Traumatic brain injury. That did you know that eighty percent of the men and women living in prison have traumatic brain injury? That's the prefrontal cortex. That's injury to to the place where they expect you to perform and act like like social human beings. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have access to that, remember you're back in your amygdala. You're back in your animal in your animal instincts. So we're we're penalizing people and punishing people for not being able to to work it out. But we, we forgive the veterans, we forgive the NFL players for their traumatic brain injury. We need to extend that to everyone in prison. Basically, it's 80%. It's up to 80% of people have TBI, traumatic brain injury. And so that, and I just inter interviewed Kim Gorgens, who's done all this research about TBI and people in prison. So that's, check out my podcast on that. She's incredible. But also, Protects your protect your kids' brains too. I mean, you do not want that prefrontal cortex injured. That's like, get a helmet, forget about football. Those are things that I would recommend, and just get a helmet. And it's hard to enforce, but watch watch her TED talk. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. So we figured out this this circle, and then in January of 2020. Um, one of the volunteers, her husband is Rodrigo Prieto, who is Martin Scorsese's cinematographer. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, he'll do this for you. And so within three weeks, we had to like get permits, figure out how to get 23 crew members into a prison, um, organize 250 men, which became 235 men to be in that circle. Um, we had... You know, th these were almost insurmountable. They wouldn't let us use a drone, which is which is unfortunate. I really wanted the drone shot of would have been nice from above to see that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That was a really unfortunate thing. But th we're going to be doing more circles. I want to do circles with women, people, uh, women incarcerated that are incarcerated mm -hmm. with 
correctional officers. We've done um, returning citizens circles on Zoom, and we also did retired wardens and correctional officers, but I want correctional officers in their uniforms stepping inside that circle. We think that most of the officers uh, have four or more aces, just like most of the people yeah. in prison. Yeah, you'd have to, I've always thought that you'd have to have, be able to relate to it at a, at a body, mind, sight level, all, all levels to be there, to be, to take it. Well, uh, to understand violence, because that's, it's a violence, it's a place of violence. And um, that's what both, and they're usually from the same communities, um, the people that are in prison and the people that are guarding the people in prison. So wow. there is not much of a difference. <laughs> um, the problem is though, the, uh, the life expectancy of a correctional officer is 59 years old. 30, 35% uh, talk about symptoms of having symptoms of PTSD. And of course that's underreported because you're penalized for reporting your mental health issues in that job. So, mm -hmm. and that penalty is actually exacerbating how our returning citizens um, behave when they return to us because they've been de dehumanized and demoralized and abused by the men and women that are there to protect to create public safety. So I'm right. I just wrote an op-ed that that the title is "Prisons Are a Hazard to Public Safety," because of the way we are treating um, the people that are living there. And that's the key here: is we need people to return to us healthy and ready, ready to work, ready to be here. Otherwise, we have a bigger homeless problem, and we have mental health issues that are, um, you know, being acted out all over the the streets. And they're this, probably worse than when they went in, right? Hundred percent, I would say hundred wow. percent. Um, and it's actually two days in in jail that criminal. It's a called criminogenic factor. You actually become more crim, more of a criminal if you spend two days in jail. So we're actually harming ourselves at every at every um, entry point of prison and every exit point of prison. Um, parole. Twenty five percent of the people on parole go back to prison because of parole violations sim for simple things like um, not showing up for a urine sample, things like that. And, but the, um, the maze you have to, to go through when you're released, you have to show up in certain places. Sometimes you don't have transportation. Sometimes you don't have money for transportation. And the, the, um, the opinion is that's too bad. You figure it out. But that's, that's set up to fail. And that's set up for recidivism. That's set up for more taxpayer um, responsibility. So what are we doing? Why there's 45,000 laws when you return to from parole laws, 45,000 laws you have to navigate through. Wow. Um, so That's these incredible. are like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's a maze that you actually, people who survive it, you know, they can do anything. Basically, if you can survive re-entry, re you can do anything. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I want to ask you because it seems to me that the, the way we um, treat prisoners or the way the system attempts to correct them or to, to control them is almost a, a bigger reflection of the way we parent our kids. Because I feel like when we're not conscious parents, right? Because I feel like it's the same thing. You did something wrong. Now you need to be punished. And then I know once you're punished, you'll learn the lesson, but it's actually not the truth. When we get punished for doing something wrong, 
we actually go further into anger, pain, right? Not feeling heard, not feeling seen. We're going to act out again. It's going to get worse. And we're going to just roll with it and be the bad guy because you know what? Fuck it. But that's who they say I am. And then we end up in prison, right? And so to me, it's a bigger issue uh, in parenting as well, in parallel, right? We got to reform our prisons big time. But I also feel like as parents, we have a responsibility to really parent our children more consciously. 100%, 100%. And I notice how I resort to uh, authoritarianism with mm. my child. Um, it's, as most of us do, right? Because we, we, we don't know any different. We were raised that way. Probably you have and I have in Europe. Uh, it was like, shut up. Don't make a mistake. Like, you know? Well, yeah, or do your homework, or if you if you yep. fail, or if you don't, if you go back on YouTube, no friends for a week. Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> punishment. Yeah, it's like uh, what is it? Blackmail, punishment, uh, gaslighting, all this stuff. Yeah, and and you know, it's like we want compliance. We want compliance by our children. Someone did a study. The study was um, I forgot. I'm not going to describe it very well, but. They had they split two people people up and they said they a neighbor owed them something and a child versus a ch child owing them something and mm -hmm. they wrote down how they would make that request and they were much nicer to their neighbor than they were to their child. Yes, I and agree. I've heard many studies where we treat our employees better than our children. Yeah, you know? <laughs> right. Like, and but and I I read a book called um, something. It's like the policies of rage and a lot of our Republican policies, the ones that are punitive in our prisons, I would say, it's a lot of these are repressed anger from the way we were raised as children. Yeah. Their, their premise is that um, you can't take it out on your father or your mother. You have to take it out on something that rage is there. So you take it out on poor people. You take it on, take it out on people that don't look like you, you take it out on people that commit crimes. Yes, or, yes. Or, so it was an interesting book to read because it's like, why are we doing these things? Why are we going against our own nature, our own, you know, you know, one of, if my son drives home drunk and he ends up in prison, I mean, drives home drunk, kills somebody and ends up in prison. How do I want that, my son to be treated? I don't want him to be annihilated. I don't want him to be, um, made into a criminal, I want him to be rehabilitated, find out why he was drinking in the first place, yep. why he had no thoughts. Of course, he was in his pre he, he had no access to his prefrontal cortex. I know that. I've driven home drunk. Um, thank God nothing happened. But, you know, these are the things, these are people that not everyone in prison is a gang person. And with the people in, and every gang member I've met, I asked them, would you be here if you didn't kill the person? And they all say, no, it's, it was basic. It's most, most of these crimes are it's you or me. So it would have been, yeah. so it was a confrontation and uh, the amygdala was, was sounding the alarm and someone was going to die. There was a threat and survival kicked in as in like, it's the person or me. And then flight kicks in. It's like, I'm out of here. Right. Then you get caught and you get put in there. It's like, it, it, it's, it happened so quick though. It's a, I think it's a second. You have a second to make that choice. And so within that second, you have to decide, um, is this a threat? Is this, who is this? What's going on? And if you, and I, you know, I've seen that second go by and 
I make the wrong choice. I, it's not really a choice, but it's kind of like, no, this is a threat. Um, and it's almost like, uh, let's talk about impulsivity for a moment, because I feel just from years of research that impulsivity has gotten a bad rep. And I believe we do need impulsivity to hone our intuition, to calibrate it so that we can make the right choices, right? We make mistakes, you recalibrate, you make another impulsive decision. This time it worked out, so that was good. So, you know, I feel like same thing in those moments when there's so much rage and unresolved anger, unhealed trauma, you don't have time. Like you said, it's a second. You don't have time to check in with your gut feeling. You go, is this really a good decision, right? We don't. The prefrontal cortex, yeah. Impulse, impulse control is governed by the prefrontal cortex. Yep. And so if you don't have that, uh, if you don't have that online, you know, that's when I'm eating chocolate, you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. or, you know, going for that full carton of ice cream. That's, not, you know, there's <laughs> no, but there's something going on, something I don't want to feel something. I'm yes. some emotion that is not being dealt with. Um, there's a great book called the presence process. If you do want to start dealing with that feeling, that feeling that's so scary that I, um, it's by Michael Brown. It's a 10 week, uh, you have to read the book and then it's 10 weeks of breathing in the morning and breathing at night. But it really, it kind of gives you the information that all feelings are are okay. Um, it's the thoughts that we attach to them that that change how we behave. Um, and well, I'm that- doing it, I'm doing it again because I've, I've gone crazy again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to check that out. That comes as a blessing because I'm going through something right now in life. Uh, and and that is my, uh, I, I do go to, uh, uh, what is it? The soothing, the pacifier, which for me is distraction, whatever that is in the moment, instead of feeling whatever feelings are there, right? It's not always pain, but um, feeling that. So I'll check that out. Thanks for mentioning that. That's a good uh, good title too. Um, so, uh, I have a question, you know, lots of parents and including ourselves, when our son got diagnosed six years ago by pretty much his teacher and principal, not diagnosed, but at least, you know, singled out. And we had a discussion during one of the meetings and the principal said, you know, if you don't medicate your son, like right away, he'll probably end up, um, self-medicating, you know, drugs and end up, and he could end up in prison. And I was like, Oh my God, it was like a shock, right? Talking about prisons here with you. And you know what? He's right in a sense that unhealed trauma, unprocessed trauma in children could lead, you know, the ACEs can lead someone on that path. I get it. But it's not the ADHD that gets them into prison. The ADHD is just the symptoms that show up from the trauma, right? So that was a huge, now looking back, what a miss, right? What a, what a, a, a mess, a fault, not a false, an incomplete narrative we were given, right? So what are some of the incomplete or some of the things that you could, uh, from your perspective, tell other parents who are listening that are worried that their son or daughter will end up in prison or that they're going to fail or do drugs or get, you know, pregnant and blah, there's all this ball of doomsday wax, right? What would you say to parents listening from your experience? Uh, with a child with ADHD. Um, so in general, also, you know, you have more, I think you have a lot of experience around trauma processing or healing, or how can they support their child to really find out what's causing the symptoms rather than just labeling them and then medicating them? 
Well, I guess with we as parents, usually we know something's wrong, right? We know something is off, right? Something happened. Mm. My child's not the same today. Like, like it's interesting. My son got into a um, skateboard accident, broke his nose, and he actually had some traumatic. You know, he had it was a trauma. It was actually a trauma, and it, it, kind of his personality was the bright light in him was kind of dimmed mm. for a couple couple weeks. Um, we went and got acupuncture, five element acupuncture. It was a thing called blocked. He was blocked actually, um, which I think presents his trauma. I don't know. There's a whole nother discussion, but <laughs> um, you know, when we know something is wrong, I guess the first thing, the first thing is to know, I mean, for me, when I'm, cause I know I don't want to re-traumatize my son. I know my behavior can be really erratic, I have, I'm in a lot of fight. I mean, I'm a lot of flight. I'm in a lot of flight. I have anxiety. Things freak me out. Chaos freaks me out. You know, if he's playing the ukulele too loud, that freaks me out. So, but I say, you know, can you, you know, I'm sorry, I'm having a reaction. I try and do this if I can. Sometimes I'll say, stop it. But I'll say, you know, or if I say, stop it, I'll say, I'm so sorry. That's not how I should respond to you. But it's also just like, calming the environment down like children do not thrive in a stressful environment and mm. so i would say is your environment calm is the house clean is there chaos or are you in chaos are you checked out are you looking at your phone are you not you know are you not present how are you not present why aren't you present and it you know no shame gosh it's hard gosh it's hard i just i know every night i have to just stop and do a crossword before I can reconnect with my family. I know that I just have to just decompress and really like go offline. I have to go offline and come back online so I can just connect. Mm. And, and I think connection and presence is probably the most important thing we can bring to our children. Um, especially children with ADHD because they need to settle in. They don't know how to settle in. I know I don't know how to settle in. I know I, my symptoms of ADHD um, my husband can't relax around me. I can't relax with my husband. Sometimes, sometimes I'm just like, get out of there. I got, okay. You got your information to go. So I can just go back <laughs> online and be a freak. But seriously, um, I would say it's slowing down and, um, but I'm the wrong person to ask about how to do that. Because no, I think, I mean, I think you are the right person because what I'm hearing and we're realizing the same thing, it's removing as much friction in the environment between the child and the environment. And then for us to be as present or, or create structure that allow structures that allow us to be as present as we can be with our children, because that's what they need. They need that attachment and nurturing, right? And that calms them down the nervous system. And now they can really focus on what they need to focus. You know, I, I'm, I, everything you said rang a bell so loudly. I was like, and, and that's in the hands of the parents. That's like, they, we have that power, right? As the parents, for the most part, to do that, yet it's easier to reach for a pill and to keep sort of pushing that off and say, well, I'm busy. There's nothing I can do instead of lifestyle changes or things. And I know it's hard. It's not easy to just pack up and leave, which is what we did. Changed everything, environment, nutrition, the marriage had to be strengthened. Like we're doing a lot of self-development. Like we're like, let's do everything because let's see if we can dissolve all the symptoms. And we have half the symptoms are gone in six years. 
so I'm, I think what you said was beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing that. Cause, cause I think a lot of parents will be able to relate to that, you know? Right. And what you reminded me is that we co-regulate, right? So if, and this is mm -hmm. what I see in prisons is everyone co-regulates. So if some, if there's tension, everybody knows it and everybody's tense and everybody's hypervigilant. Mm. Um, and there's a warden who said he was in, he's in Germany. It was on a 60 minute piece. He said, we need to calm things down, calm them down, calm them down. But that's co-regulation because if people can feel safe, if people can feel mm -hmm. they're back in their prefrontal cortex and that's, you know, a child with ADHD is in fight or flight. So when he's calm, if you can create calm and, you know, bit by bit, that will become something they go to instead of, you know, this yeah. sense of being, um, and I, bit by bit, I, I was, I was getting more calm and then, you know, I, things happen. My, my sister can activate me. So, um, I hear that, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's been three months of this. So, you know, I've been kind of out of my mind, mm. but that's, mm. you know, that's family dynamics can be very unsafe and to recognize that and to say, okay, I need safety. I need to, I need to create structures and boundaries so that I am safe. Um, that's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, something you made me think of recently, I watched the world's toughest prisons on Netflix. I watched a prison in, uh, it was in uh, uh, Greenland, right? And I thought, wait, how tough can a prison be in Greenland? Come on. And sure enough, it was not really that tough. But what I loved was how they described, how they created the prison. And it looks more like a hotel. It, yeah. it, they, they, the prisoners had a kitchen amongst themselves. There was no guard in there. There were no bars. They had their cells, but they were decent cells with decent facilities, you know, minimal, something you would see in a very bottom line, um, uh, uh, what do you call those hostels around the world, right? But the facility itself looked like a Scandinavian designed hotel. And everyone they interviewed said, look, we did bad things, but right now we're working together with the guards, with everyone involved to rehabilitate so we can go back into the communities we grew up in because everyone knows us, right? It's a small place. And I just loved it. It was like, wow, what a model. Yet when I look at the American prison system, it's scary. It's really, really like, I mean, let me ask you, is it too late? I mean, have we done too much damage where this is all heading with all the prisons? And uh, it, can we turn this around? If so, how do we turn this around? Um, no, it's not too late. Um, we created this, we can uncreate this, or we can create something new. Um, Norway had a, this, a similar violent prison system in the eighties and Norway is like what I consider the Holy grail of, of prison reform. Um, and now they have a 20% recidivism rate instead of the U S in five years, 77 people will recidivate out of a hundred. So that's 77, 77%. That's our recidivism rate in five wow. years In three years at 65%. Wow. So that's, if this was a business, it would have failed in the first year. And that yet we continue, we continue to um, pursue these practices. Uh, but well, I, I guess, I guess because it's a business now, it actually is succeeding because they're coming back and money gets dumped into the prison system. Right. Right. If you want to call that a perverse, <laughs> perverse business. Yes. It's perverse yep. though. Yep. The idea is that um, 
Of course. Yeah. If we what we were doing was working, we wouldn't be building more prisons. They're building a new one in um, Nebraska um, mm. right now for two, $230 million. Imagine we could create a mental health facility for that. Put it, people that are, you know, the three largest mental health facilities in the United States are the Cook County Jail in Chicago, Los Angeles County Jail and Rikers Island. Those are our three men, largest mental health facilities. So that's, that's how we're dealing with adversity. Um, but it goes, it goes right back to poverty. You know, poverty is, as Gandhi said, poverty is the worst form of violence. So, because it creates, especially in a um, misogynistic society, if a man isn't providing, he doesn't feel like he has worth. And yeah. in impoverished communities have a more of a misogynistic society still. So anyway, so it creates domestic violence. It creates abuse, abuse for children. It creates sexual abuse you know, this is what poverty does. And so it's, these are the roots. These are the roots of prison. Um, luckily this, this bill, this a hundred billion dollars that they're going to, you know, to give to, they're going to get rid of 50% of childhood poverty in this year with these, um, these checks that they're writing. I don't, it's, it's, it's on. You're talking about the, the, the PPP and the loans that are going out for COVID. No, this is this is a provision for childhood poverty, but every it's every, you're going to get a check. I'm going to get a check as well. Um, it's on MP. It's on Fresh Air. This this got week. It, got it. So, I'll check it out. Yeah, it's good to know. Yes, but this is fifty percent of poverty could be ended. Childhood poverty could be ended this year. What a, what a relief! I mean. Uh, Clinton. But is that really going to end it though? Isn't it like giving someone a fish instead of teaching them how to fish or how do you see that? Well, the thing help, is but... we don't have the, the promise of America that we had 50 years ago. Hmm. The middle class is, is imploding and there is the promise of America is gone. So we have to figure out something. We do need something more socialistic human, which is, I would call humanistic. I wouldn't call socialism anything, but right. humanism. Right, right. Um, but we, you know, when I know that there are people going hungry in America, when there is people building rocket ships and and underground tunnels, like, right. come on, great, do those things, have your toys. But we've got people starving in your neighborhood, down the block from where you're building these things. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I said, before we go to Mars, let's clean up this because we're going to bring the same shit to Mars. And then we're going to, you know, keep, it's like flight. We're going to keep going and avoiding really dealing with the issues. So I agree. Well, or before we go to Saudi Arabia and tell them about their human rights, <laughs> exactly. let's figure out our human rights. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's hypocrisy on top of hypocrisy. We're really amazing hypocrites. I, I mean, they call... This is one of the articles I'm about to write is who is the super predator? Is it the the 15 year old gang member or is it the private industry that that writes laws to lower the threshold for felony convictions? Who's who's being predatorial now? Or is it the phone companies um, in prisons that charge $15 for 14 minutes to poor people? These are poor people. They want to connect, but they have to choose between feeding their kids and talking to their father. Mm. That's super, that's, that's super predatorial. Um, so we really have to, you know, we're calling people super predators, but what are we doing? What, and that's us. We're voting for these policies. We're putting these politicians in office. We're allowing for lobbyists to, to, yeah. to go against our own better nature. 
um, which is what Bernie was talking about. And, um, you know, and I think Biden's doing some great work and we can't demonize the other person. That's more violence we're putting into the system. The cancel culture is just as bad as. Oh, um, don't get me started on that. That's. But, it, it, but the thing is, it's. But then we can't be angry at the cancel culture either. That's right. more violence too. So it's like, w when do we stop the violence? When are we going to just say, okay, we have to work this out instead of saying you're wrong. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? No. Well, there's a famous saying, right? I think Jordan Peterson, I'm going to totally butcher it, but he says before you get all wrapped up in these pseudo moral issues where you're like, you know, protesting, placating for for black lives or for whatever the environment, what's your home like? How is your life? Where's the integrity out? Where are we not cleaning up at home? Because you wouldn't be out on the street doing that because if everyone cleans up at home, we're good. There's no racism. There's no climate issues. There's no poverty, right? But we're out there and it just becomes this like, oh yeah, another rally. So I'm I'm with you on that. We I feel even it's a lack of self-respect and self-love. Everything stems from there. And that comes from our parents and their parents and transgenerational. We got to stop it. Like we, like I have to stop that. That's my commitment. And I also get it's your commitment because you're looking at yourself, right? Through oh, this absolutely. very intense lens. I love it. But remember, it's fight. The, what people are doing going out is they're fighting. It's then another instinct. I'm going to fight this. We, you know, the fight is real or uh, the struggle is real. Um, you know, we mm -hmm. got to fight for our rights. But basically what you're doing is you're adding more violence yep. into something that doesn't work. So you're actually, you're, you're strengthening the opposition. Yeah, it's the, the same with war on drugs, right? Just the, that term, right. war on drugs. It's like saying, we're just going to avoid the trauma. We're going to fight something that can never be won, but we're just going to go for it. Makes no sense. It, well, it makes perfect sense because we're traumatized. And well, yeah. so, yeah. Thank and you. so yeah. what, but when we get, when we're calm with our children, we get into that place, we can start building a new world, but it, we really all need to get into our prefrontal cortex. So one of the things we're doing um, at Compassion Prison Project is we're creating a trauma-informed curriculum. Basically, I, it's me talking about what we're talking about. It's really to let people know, number one, they're traumatized, what an ACE score is, what, what trauma does to the brain, body, and spirit, and techniques to stop, to start healing and to start really getting, getting I want prisons to be in their prefrontal cortex mm. and out of their amygdalas. I mean, that's it. If we can get there, we can create, we can, we can figure out this mess we're in, but it's America needs to get into their prefrontal cortex. And I know it's a term people don't want to hear, but I don't care. This is your right. This is the brain that does all that has, that has all the answers. This is the brain where we're all in and it's not working. And I think we're too focused. I agree with you hundred percent. And I think we're too focused on putting knowledge and information in the rest of our brain and we think that's going to just figure things out as we move through life. But intelligence or IQ is so overvalued and the emotional intelligence, the EQ is so undervalued. And I think when we make that switch and we become emotionally healthy or healthier to begin with, I mean, what a world we could be living. We will be living it, will be. And actually what a world we're in because you and I are co-regulated right now. We're, we're in a calm state. We're, we're not in fight or flight. So we're already creating it right in this moment. Mm. So um, there like is that. no there, there. 
where right. it is now it is now it from this moment is when we create the future it's not one day it's right now that's the problem with i have a dream that dream was put off into the future the dream is not now it's i have a vision we're doing this now it's actually the change is now mm. right now in this moment right now in this moment with our thoughts with our actions with our um prefrontal cortex <laughs> we're creating change <laughs> i love it i love it and you got me really present to even if we want to take this spiritually how there is no other mm. i this is my reality you're in my reality i'm in yours but really if i regulate me into peace and love and presence then we co-regulate now it spreads out into our families into the world right the reality shifts yeah but and then but it's also um i asked this acupuncturist i go to i asked her cuz you know she can put a pin in my face and i feel better i've been feeling for like literally like it all goes it drains out like the, the anxiety drains out so i said who created this system and then she said we did and hearing that that we did this it wasn't it was done you know this is an ancient ancient chinese medicine mm -hmm. but it was done by us like the sense that this is us doing this so this is us doing the prisons this is us creating you know television distractions so our children or you know youtube whatever this is us doing this so we can do anything we are powerful and hopefully soon to be conscious and no right now we're powerful conscious human beings right now there's nothing else to say i feel <laughs> one of those podcasts really like okay so that's solved uh how's your lunch you know uh no but it's great i what i love about what you're doing is i think a lot of people are like you said fighting for a cause and i think you're going to prisons or to populations and you're bringing that kind of like all is well let's together calm down and then what do we want to create versus keep trying to be the authoritarian let's punish this you know let's this got to change and come on guys you got to wake up we need to change this that's a hard thing to do though don't you get frustrated sometimes when people are like nah we're good we don't need it yeah that doesn't make sense how do you deal with that sort of because you're you're clearly in what i call a ahead of not a, ahead of its time but you're thinking far ahead from what we're told to how to think we're you know we're really seeing the future and how do you deal with rejection or doubt or <laughs> that? Well, back to what we were saying before, the future is now. So how I present today will change the way the world works tomorrow. So everything I do today, and this is true for every single human on this planet. So the future is now. It's, are we being violent? Are we being uh, kind? Are we cleaning our house? Are we, you know, are we cleaning our, you know, all of are we figuring it out are we looking at our crap or are we just in reactive mode um wait what was your question I, yeah like how how do you deal with when you go out with your projects right to the to to the world oh, to right. the say you go to hbo or you go to a prison and you feel resistance or doubt or like yeah yeah lady it's not going to happen how do you deal with that personally how do you keep going 
Well, um, yes. I mean, and the instinct is to other, to other the guards, to other the warden, to other, to, you know, see them not as me. And, and the thing is, I want to bring this training to everyone in prison. And I do get frustrated. And I have been, I almost got kicked out of Kern Valley for, um, we, there was a photo session and I would, I just randomly went and kissed uh, one of the people in prison on the cheek. Mm. And that was, um, that was a huge violation. And they, it was Priya, it was like a Priya Prison Rape Elimination Act. They asked that guy if they want, if he wanted to press charges on me. Wow. Um, yeah, this is, it was, it, I didn't even know. And I'm, it was just a simple kiss. I mean, and so I almost got kicked out just for being more compassionate. The guy, you know, when they asked him, the guy said, are you kidding? Do you know what she's doing? Do you know what she's doing for us? Mm. No, of course not. This is like, you know, I'm, they see me as a mother. It was a motherly kiss. It wasn't like any, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 58 years old, been there, done that. <laughs> I don't yep. No, No, thank you. Um, but you know, I have to also respect the, I have to respect the, the environment that I'm in. And of course I would never do that again, but mm -hmm. still it was just an instinct. It wasn't something deliberate or like, oof. Anyway, so there are, there, the obstacles are, are there. And, but also my intention is I think stronger than the obstacles. So I will continue to persevere and continue to change minds and hearts and to really, you know, let people remember the people returning to us are going to be our neighbors. They're going to be in our communities. They already are. We have homeless people in our communities. I'd say 50% or at least at least 50% are from prison. Mm. So when we're angry at what's what this person in front of me, why is there homelessness here? It's like, because we did this, this is us. And that's it. We have to remember that weight. That's not, that's not something that is alien to me that is me not taking care of my stuff and so that's the result of all of this um annihilation we've done to ourselves so yeah. it's really self-reflective if you don't like something in your environment you created it so yeah. let's change it well that's taking full responsibility for your life and responsibility not as in fault and blame but like i caused this i'm going to be dealing with it powerfully that's responsibility right and we don't we don't really teach that in schools and so i'm going to start myself you know looking at where i'm not responsible in life and what i've caused and how i can remedy that and that that's a that's a great reflection to take with me so i appreciate you uh really giving that back to me again and again because it would be easy to say all right let's put this aside here's what I'm doing out there, right? For you, everything is, we're in it. This is it now. This is it. <laughs> and if you see something, do something. Don't just say something, do something. You have the power to change the world. Everyone here does. Um, if you see someone hungry, you see someone in Trader Joe's who, who looks at the organic chicken and then puts down and gets the other drumettes because he can't afford it. Go get him a gift card if you don't have cash. Do something. Just do something. It's mm. um, that'll change his that'll change his meal for tonight or whatever it is. That'll change his life for a minute, and that gives people hope. That you know, and then we keep building on that. So it's you know, if you see something, do something. And 
And if you like what I'm talking about, please help us and donate or become a volunteer. Yes, yes. I was just getting to that. I really appreciate this has been a great conversation. I would love for you to now let our listeners know what they can do. And I'll put the links in the show note, but feel free to mention anything, how they can join your organization. Awesome. Um, so CompassionPrisonProject.org, that's our, that's our hub. And we have 500 volunteers. Um, we're having a volunteer day event on April 17th. I don't know if this will come out by then. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll put it out by then. Yep. Awesome. Um, so if you're interested in really seeing what we're doing, we're going to be exploring solitary confinement and we're exploring trauma-informed prisons so you really understand what our mission is and then get you guys busy for a few hours. And, and we're going to have a lot of fun, but also really learn about what's going on and how we can change things. Um, and donate if you don't have the time, um, because that really helps. We're, we're, we're moving fast and we need support. We need support so we can get to every governor in the United States, every, every congressman, so that they really know that we're here, that we have the plans and that we're ready. You know, um, we're creating, we created this um, six part video series called Trauma Talks. That's, we're going to start piloting that in the next month. And, um, you know, we're about to blast off and change the prison system. All prisons will be healing centers in the next three years. And that's done. We're, there's no, there's no question anymore. This prisons, beautiful. prisons are mental health centers. Let's make them that. Nice. Awesome. Well, Fritzy, this was Fritzy Horseman. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about trauma, about your project, about the need. What I'm getting here is I love what you said. ADHD is flight, right? We we have to get a hold of our prefrontal cortex and really be in the presence, in the moment now and really change ourselves. Trying to change the world is really not doing the work at home and in our own bodies and our own minds. So I just appreciate this conversation very much. Had no idea where it was going, but it went to heaven and back. So I thank you for that. And uh, listeners, you will have all the notes in the show notes, all the links. You can check in with the project, the, 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 the organization. Uh, you can even reach out to Fritzy herself if you want to have her on a podcast. I'm promising you it's going to be an amazing episode. So uh, thank you so much. And we're going to do a follow-up soon on, on trauma. I know we will in the future and all the best with your projects. Thank you so much, Roman. So great to talk with you and your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you.